0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegla, buddy. We back on a Wednesday night. It's been a while, That's but here we three, are.
1: Three weeks. It's the offseason, man. We're, we're yeah. The offseason. We got things going on. We, you know, you're traveling. We got sports going on with kiddos. We got schools wrapping up. Um, clearly, you look at my face. I spent time at the pool this weekend. I got a little tan going on. There, there you go. There you go. I, mean,
0: I did not do that. I, I, I did get a couple bike rides in. So
1: bike. You wanted. You did bike rides that. If also power washed, which is probably why I have a terrible sinus ache <laughs> this weekend.
0: Good on you, man. You did, had- more, you did more yard work than I did this weekend.
1: Well it had to be done. I mean, you know, there's a few places you look around and it's like, okay, we, we, we gotta do this and it's and if you commit to doing it, it's like six hours. Like see it like dinner time. But uh yeah, it has been three weeks, guys. A lot of stuff going on in Hokie Nation. We're gonna cover a variety of topics tonight. But Brian, let, let's kick it off and let's talk with let's start with big news of the day and let's talk basketball with Justin Mutz announcing he will be returning.
0: Yeah, that's big news, guys. Uh, that really, uh, you know, uh, we had been hoping that we were going to get that word um, for our own sake. You know, obviously, I know Justin was exploring, uh, yep. you know, potential draft prospects there, but uh, I, I think he knows that we're glad to have him back and we're glad that he's running it back for another year uh, with this Hokie team. And when we look at this Hokie team now with what Mike Young's been able to do in the offseason uh, between the recruiting class and some of the transfer portal pickups, this is a pretty pretty strong uh, not only starting five, but probably the eight- or nine-man rotation that we're looking at for the 22-23 season coming up.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, so let's, let's, let's just talk about it, Brian. We were talking about it earlier today at starting five. Center power forward. You know, the transfer, Grant Basile? Yep. We, we feel right?
0: I think so. I, th- I think that's going to be the uh, – essentially a Luma 2.0 um, mm-hmm. in some ways. I think, you know, there's a couple parts of Basile's game that may be a little stronger than Aluma's and a couple that might not quite be as polished, uh, at least at where he, where Aluma was at this time last year. But I think overall that was a good uh, plug-and-play pickup in the portal. Uh, obviously getting butts back. um mm-hmm. That's huge.
1: Huge for um, huge for leadership, huge for home court play, uh, the matchups he creates, what he can do, especially passing out of the post. Two guys like another really good leader, Hunter Couture.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got you got Couture, and then obviously we got uh, Maddox back there as well. Um, both of those wing guys, uh, both can shoot the three well. Um, yeah, if, if we see Maddox develop a little bit with his defense and his handle – he's going to be a big-time offensive threat. Yes. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to see what he can do with that. And then, obviously, uh, we got Sean Padula running the point.
1: Yes. And as much as we can all love Sean – love Storm Murphy. I to call him Sean Murphy. <laughs> Storm Murphy. Um, and he was a good point guard. But that was – the one element he was missing was the be able to create. And if there was at times last year you saw Padula come on and there were times he could create not every single possession, he doesn't have that skill level because if he had that skill level, he would probably already have played this year of college and already be in the pros. But to have him run on the point where you know occasionally he can just go, right? Yeah, you can just go create his own shot. You know, I know there were there's there's a lot of Concerns about is there anybody behind them? But I think between Maddox, Couture, and him, um, and Rodney Rice, let's let's shout out the combo guard, Rodney Rice, one of the highest recruits ever signed. Uh, you know, top 65 player, four star, little handle with him, too.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, I think we'll be okay at point guard. I think, obviously, it's like. Somebody said it today, and I wish I could remember who it was. So if you said it in some of the chats we're in, and or you said it on Twitter, I'm not trying to steal. I'm just I like the point of it's just like the NBA. Usually, whoever your backup point guard is, you're not doing the same things you are with your starting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the big thing, especially with Roddy Rice, because that's going to give him some time to. Do what he does well right now out the gate, yep and as he develops um some of those those finer skills that he's gonna be gonna need to take over that more um you know full fledged starting role uh sometime in the future for the hokies, whether that be on the floor at the same time at at the at the two guard or whether that be you know being a true combo and running the point for a good good portion of the game. I don't think in Mike Young's system that there is a great need for a, you know, capital P, capital G point guard. True. Um, you know, it, it, it's definitely not that type of system. So, um, you know, having a guy like like Roddy Rice is definitely kind of a, a very good fit for this type of system.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then two guys we mentioned that earlier, you know, in the year about the transfers with Potite and Camden. I mean, obviously Poteet's going to give you that, again, your center off the bench who has played significant minutes, who has some good size. And then Camden's kind of the unknown. Can yeah. Camden become that extra wing? And if he becomes that extra wing, you feel like you've got Couture Maddox and him. Then you've got Maddox, Padula, and Rice. And then with Poteet, Basile, Mutts, and hopefully Camden kind of becoming that piece where you can maybe play a three-wing. You know, you take Mutts out to get a breather. You play – Basile, Camden, Couture, Maddox, you play like a three-wing type, you know, offensive game. Yeah. So it's – I said this earlier and I'll say it again. I want to temper expectations early because I think what's got to happen is similar to last year. You've got to figure out where the new pieces fit. Um. Obviously, when we figured out how they fit, what happened is what happened. But before that, you know, what would you say? You think we you, you feel like where we were last year is where you think we should start this year, right?
0: I think the expectations we had preseason last year is where they need to start this year. I think this is a top to bottom, a deeper team than last year. I think it is going to take a little bit of time for it to gel. Um, so I think the expectations at the start of last season were probably a little higher than they should have been considering what we had to do in the backcourt in terms of, um, kind of, kind of figuring out those rotations. Um, I think it's probably going to be a little bit of figuring out those rotations, especially in the frontcourt this year as we replace, you know, two thirds of that, um, and I think it's going to take some time to find those, but I like the the versatility of the lineup. You can go big, you can go small, and then you can go wing heavy, so you get a little bit of everything, right? Um, I, I like that there is is those matchups. We can really work matchups depending on the opponent's strength and weaknesses. Um, you know, there's some there's some teams that we're going to play where Poti might be the the guy the first guy to start. He might be yeah. he might be the, the, the center you want out there. Um, but there's going to, I'd say, the majority of the games. Basile is going to get the majority of those minutes. Uh, I agree. But, 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 again, I like the versatility that this gives us because everybody off the bench has some degree of proven caliber play, and that's what we didn't have last year at the start of the season.
1: Proven caliber play in niches. Niches. Yeah. Teach your big banger, get rebounds, play hard defense. If, if, you know, you know, if you decide to have Couture come off the bench, can handle, can hit threes, However, so you know when they come in, they give you something versus, like you said last year, it was the unknown of what are they going to give us. Yeah. Um, one other piece of basketball news that broke, Gasson confirms he's going to Kansas State. I don't know if this was a direct move in relation to Mutt's coming back. If Mutt doesn't come back, does this Gasson return? But best of luck to him um, going to a pretty solid program out in K-State. So uh That'll wrap up the basketball segment. All right, we go from a high to we we, we gotta we, we gotta go to a little low here. Um, you know, softball. You know, after the regional weekend where they win three games in twenty-four hours, which was unbelievable. You know, beating Kentucky. You know, beating Miami of Ohio late night into Sunday morning, and then back to back against Kentucky. You know. The field was rocking, the place was rocking. Our and hometown
0: girl had herself a weekend
1: that <laughs> McKenzie did have a weekend. shout out Mackenzie Lauder um and then the Florida Gators rolling town uh, uh, essentially a you know top ten team all year they got ranked twelfth in the uh in the couple of the final polls. Friday night, early Saturday morning started off great. Hokies went six, nothing but from there. It in you know ends in heartbreak. Um, yeah, losing seven. It was, a good,
0: it was a decent start to game two. A couple yeah. missed opportunities. A couple things didn't quite go the Hokies' way, and then Florida capitalized and closed out the game two. And it felt like that was that was the switch, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah, you know, the way the the game two kind of ended, yeah, you know, was was foretelling of how the, the the game on Sunday was gonna gonna roll, right?
1: I mean so many times you see that in, in, in all sports. I mean in all sports you see it it it's it it it's the old the old avalanche effect it starts and then all of a sudden it tumbles. Um but for the program in general, hello a season, you know, in the season ranked top five. A lot of a lot of top eight teams were losing, not making it to Oklahoma City for the World Series. And you know what 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 what's really good in my opinion, yet we're losing Keely.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. She's an all-American, you know, years ago, and I cannot think who was it. Uh another all American pitcher. Why is it blanking on me? Um, you don't get that kind of all every year. Now what I will say is my opinion is this, Emma. Emma has a chance to be to get up in that upper echelon. Could she yeah. could she be Keely Richard? I can't put that on her, but I think you've got your number one going into next year where I don't think it's going to be a slip from top five to completely out. I think this team's going to be a top twenty team next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely um, you know, that gives you some some promise for for what's going on in the future. Uh, it's going to be nice to see how Emma develops um, going into next year, especially with you know some, somewhat of a, of a leadership role probably put on her, um, you know, heading into next year. So, uh, but I, I don't think you see a Steve drop off. I'm with you. I think it's going to be um, you know a step back. I, I think it'd be hard not to to say that there will be some step back. I think losing Keely in particular, just because of you know how shut down she was for the majority oh, yeah. of the season and really the majority of the last, you know, two, three years. So, um, you know, looking at that, I think there's going to be potentially some step back, especially early in the season, but I, th- I think it's going to be all right. I think I think they're going to still be a competitive team next year uh, and looking forward to seeing what they do again.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's roll from the softball diamond to the baseball diamond because – after big series wins against Louisville, against Duke to close out the regular season, they lose in pool play in the ACC tournament to eventual champion Carolina. Um, I don't like pool play format. I'll say that because it, it, if you're one of the best four teams, it gives there's nothing there to be gained, where in reality probably what should happen, and I'm harking on this. I didn't mention you this earlier. I was going to do it. In reality, the top four seeds should be waiting for friday night and everybody else have to play to get there and then you go from eight to four to two and there's your championship game not this we're going to pool play no you want to pool play the other eight teams and let them figure out who can win do it if you're one of the best four teams in the acc you should be sitting friday night with your one ready to play
0: yeah i agree i agree i think um It's not the best format. Um, format. You, you know how I, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, the, the, the format that you play in the regular season should be the format that, that kind of goes in the postseason. But, um, you know, we talk about that a lot with the with the MLB wild card. And, yes. You know, I hate the fucking play-in games.
1: Yes, you do. Um,
0: <clears throat> I, I, I don't like pool play. I get why people do like it or at least – you know, give it give it some uh, some credence there. But you should have more advantage as a top four seed than just the tiebreaker in the pool.
1: Yeah, that's – yeah, because it's, it's two games. Yeah. It's two games, and usually they're starting midweek. So if you're throwing your one, you're throwing your one on a short rest for them. So, you know, just get rid of that format. Top four, because, you know, not everybody makes it. Their team's always left out because there's 12 teams. Usually there are two to three teams that do not get invited. Put your four, let your other eight play to the four best teams, and then go on. But anyway, let's digress from that. A top eight seed, number four seed in the country. From where this baseball program was just a few years ago, to be a national seed, to have a Blacksburg regional, potential super regional. Yeah. I mean, it's the the right guy was hired, which makes another fantastic move. And I mean, in, in the world of baseball, of collegiate baseball, if you can consistently get top eights, you are a national powerhouse. It's it's yeah. not a question.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I you know this is very much the uh, you know like the 2004 football team. This team was not. Nope. Expected to do a whole lot. I think they were picked, finish what next to last or last. Next to in last. ACC. And you know, here we are. You know, had the best team in the regular season. Um, you had 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 a decent little run there in the in the championship, and you know, finished up with a a four seed for the region. So, I don't really think anybody could have expected more out of this team, and they really stepped up and shown that. You know, you know what they've got going on there and the 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 kind of the mix of players that they have and the guys they're bringing in it, it's starting to it's starting to click a little bit um and especially if they can get you know some steps up in pitching and if the pitching can be consistent i mean the way the the way, the way they knock the ball out of the park is just next level um and i think they got a, a a fairly favorable draw in their region um at least compared to some of the other uh, ones out there. So yeah. What what are your what's your thoughts on, on this pool uh, of uh of well, pool for their region?
1: Well right state we've already played this year and so we've seen what they have. Um I'll have to pull up real quick that record. Columbia is obviously the Ivy League school representation. And and I don't want to knock those two teams because they did win their conference, they did make it to the NCAA tournament. But I look we look at this bracket, it's it's Gonzaga, and that is your big problem because Gonzaga legitimately has an ace, and they are a really good pitching team, you know, an under four total ERA for the whole team. And they're led by a guy by the name of Gabriel Hughes. And Hughes is a mid-90s guy with a – you know, the reports are mid-90s guy with a strikeout slider and with a changeup that runs at about 79. He is potentially – and they're, they're they're looking at him, a pro comparison with Max Scherzer. Prediction is likely a top 15 pick. He's 6'4", he's 230 pounds. His biggest issue was control. He's got his control under wraps, and that shows this season where he struck out 131 and he walked 35. Okay. Um, so so yeah,
0: he, so he brought he brought the consistency level he, there with, with all the nasty stuff.
1: But here's the deal. In all likelihood, this team will not see Gabriel Hughes. Because in the world of baseball you roll the biggest dice if you don't throw your ace on game one.
0: Yeah.
1: And you you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it here to local because I heard this story a couple days ago um about the regionals here in Richmond. Deep run was playing Highland Springs, eight-nine game. Deep run chose not to throw their number one, and apparently this kid's really good, like going somewhere to play college because they were like we need him for when we play the one seed. Guess what happened? They lost to Highland Springs. They never got to throw their ace. So we probably won't see Gabriel Hughes, but we likely are probably going to see guy by the name of Owen Wild, 8-1, 3.3 ERA. If they win Friday, that's who we're probably going to look at Saturday. But we've seen this team hit good pitching. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Big time. Uh you know, um, but, they, but, they, what, they got a cumulative average of three oh eight this year. Yep. And they've hit hundred and ten home runs. So
1: <laughs> you want um, to hear Gonzaga? Let's hear it. Two seventy-six.
0: Again, 30? not
1: awful. Not terrible. Yeah. Here's here's your big here's your big differential. Thirty seven home runs. That is a massive gap yep. between the hundred and ten the Hokies put up. And something I was more shocked with, and I brought this up to you a little earlier today, when I when we were looking at their stats, and I told Brian 276, not a lot of homers, your first thought was, okay, they're a running team then. They've attempted less steals than the Hokies. Hokies, uh, what are the Hokies at steal-wise? You have that there, right? Let's see. Where's
0: my stolen bases? Stolen base attempts. 71 out of 87.
1: This team has went 39 of 55. So they're not one of those teams that is getting on base and trying to run you and a lot of hidden runs clearly. So this this isn't small ball. No. This is just <laughs> they are what they are. They they they're a pitching team. And not seeing Hughes if they choose not to if they choose to you know, throw him Friday, which they should. You know, it's a hurdle to overcome. And what you say, Brian, five? If we score more than five runs a game, then if they – Yeah, if, uh, that,
0: that, that's my thought. If we can get, you know, six, seven runs, that, that should do it. Um, and, and we're averaging over eight, close to eight runs a game. Yeah. So, if, if we can just get our average, we yeah. should be able to handle them pretty well.
1: Also, I can't wait to see the crowds out in Blacksburg the way they were with the softball team last weekend. Definitely going to be a rocking house for the baseball regionals there. Um, You know, I'm assuming – do we have a TV time yet for this one?
0: I haven't seen it yet, but that's not out
1: there. (laughs) It's got to be out there because they usually put that stuff out there pretty quick. We're going to effort this. We'll take it out in the post production. Live people, you get to see us stare at things.
0: Hang on, we're coming. We're coming. We're coming. And
1: that one didn't have it. Some of that one did not have it. it. Let's see if this one has it. Let's see if this one has it. Um, ESPN, uh, AC. Oh my God! Wait a second. You gotta they be kidding! Put
0: it on ACC Network,
1: they put it on ACC Network seven o'clock Friday night.
0: The network is good for something.
1: Took long enough. That was so annoying. Like, oh man, you're like, yeah, Let's AC- watch
0: reruns of Pitt and Wake Forest. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> ACC Network Friday night, um, seven o'clock. So those who are going in town for that probably going to have two or three hours a little tailgate, maybe a little uh hidden downtown up, some even more of a raucous crowd. But uh definitely think we see super regionals. Um you probably already read you know who are lined up to play against super regionals if they win their regional <laughs> the Florida Gators let's get them on here let's get payback
0: let's do it let's do it,
1: let's do it. um something else we want to hit real quick it was just announced a few weeks ago. Tim Settle giving a significant gift to the football program. I think it's awesome to see A-Tim's success he's had in Washington signing his deal with Buffalo this year. But also seeing, you know, not only him, but obviously the Fullers, but seeing these guys who are coming through, making it in the NFL, turning back around and contributing. To me, yeah. they're in the precedent for Any guy who goes out, has a good NFL career, give back to what made you you gotta love it. Love Tim in general. I mean, awesome guy.
0: Yeah, and I mean I think you know some some of this is you know, it's nice to see guys that I said at the time, hey, he he dropped way too far (laughs) in this draft. He's gonna show you something in a couple years. And he Tim's didn't. one of those players. I know Kendall. Kendall was one of those players too, um, mm-hmm. based on what he was able to do, um, you know, in uh, in KC and now with Washington again. So, um, you know, good on them for uh, for giving back to you know the program that they helped build. And you know, you love to see it, right? You love to see the the guys that you cheered for. You love to see their names on the building. You love to see their names on the rooms. I mean. It's just it, it's it's something that you can look back on those days and say, yeah, hey, I saw him play back in the day.
1: I saw him play, and he's doing big things here, and he's giving back. Yep, he's setting the precedent. He's he's really doing what you should be doing if you you know if you make it to that level. Remember where you came from, and, and knowing a guy like Tim, I'm sure probably his high school has reaped rewards. I'm sure his community up in Northern Virginia has reaped rewards as well. So big Tim. I you know, obviously he's playing for the Bills. You can't root for him too hard. I can root for him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah. good for Tim.
0: At least he's not in division, so.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. The conference. All right. So one last piece before we go to break we want to hit on is obviously the um, two-day trial came to an end this week. Um He was found, obviously, if you haven't heard, not guilty on second-degree murder charges. No additional charges essentially were brought up against him. Um, This is something that was just roughly a year old when everything broke, almost to the day.
0: Almost to the day.
1: Um, We wanted to hit just a couple minutes of it uh, because it needed to be addressed. Yeah. He was a recruit. He was a member of the Virginia Tech football team at that point in time. Um, And it, it's kind of one of those things after – we didn't say much on it a year ago because we knew a lot of things were going to start coming out. And in the there, trial, a lot of things came out.
0: There was a lot of speculation out the gate this time yeah. last year. Um, uh, and, and, and some of it we weren't sure what was fact and what was fiction. Mm-hmm. We wanted to wait until, till, till, you know, everything came out before we had any sort of meaningful discussion on this thing. Yep. Um, and I, I think we found out a lot at the trial. Um, and I think that ultimately, you know, if the charge is murder too, that the ultimate, uh, you know, the, the jury had to find him not guilty based on the information.
1: Yeah. That's what it was. As, as the evidence was being presented of everything that took place, between him and the deceased, in this case, you, you started. It started stacking up, and as you started stacking up, and you think about what murder two is, you read the definition by law. It's not murder two. No. Um, if 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 potentially the attorney, the district attorney's down there, would have taken a different path, maybe there's a different outcome, but they didn't.
0: It wasn't murder, too, even if you take away the the self defense situation. In my correct. opinion, correct. But I think that I think that just sealed the deal on on the whole thing. Absolutely. Once there was evidence that there a knife was present, then that that really took it in a completely different direction.
1: Hundred ten percent. So that's closed. Um, and you know whatever may go on in that young man's life from here on out, God bless him. Um, and best of luck to him. And with that, before we get into more topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners.
0: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
1: All right, Brian, let's get into some more football and a lot of football in the back half of this episode here. Let's start by taking a look at a recent commitment, twenty twenty three football, still in the top twenty five somehow, um, ranked twenty second right now. And just a few days ago, the Key Heath out of Highland Springs, the five foot nine, hundred and sixty five pound. He's listed as an athlete. I, you know, definitely going to look him at wide out, probably corner commits. He's a three star. Number 24 in Virginia. Um, What have you seen? What have you heard? And what do you think about Mr. Heath's potential in Blackbird?
0: He's an athlete with a capital A. Um, (laughs) You know, you said wide receiver. You said corner. But he's also going to be a return specialist for us, I believe. Um, So look for some of that. Either out the gate or at least by year two, uh, being a contributor there. Um, I think this is a good pickup obviously you know you want to tap that Highland springs tap as much as you can um, so I like it I like I like that it's continuing the trend with getting solid players from reputable institutions in and around the state uh, it's keeping that trend going um, it's it's still not a we still haven't had that you know, blow, blow your skirt up Fruit yet, um, but at the same time, nothing but solid across the board. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that as we go into camp season, which is what we're about to talk about a little bit more here, once we get more into camp season, we start seeing maybe at least one or two of those, um, you know, bigger fish start to start to come our way a little bit. Um, but right now I'd say this is a good pickup. He's probably, you know, just below, you know, hammer and, uh, and love it in my book in terms of, you know, where they stack up in this class. Um, yeah, I think it's a good pickup.
1: Nice. Yeah. I mean, you you just raised the question about when we're going to get the, the big one. Like when's there going to be that one where everybody kind of raises the eyebrow and also I think about that, but I also wonder when is this regime gonna break through down in the seven five or up in Nova? Because right now it's been it's been Richmond kids, it's been you know you know, Southwest Virginia kids, along with obviously the ones on the out of state. So is there anybody potentially in the state of Virginia, in the seven five, in Nova? where we can sit back here and kind of say, okay, yeah, that's going to be the breakthrough one. And is it maybe even not a breakthrough, maybe not, you know, your high four or a four-star guy, but is it from an institution that is known for rolling out continuous prospects? That's why it's nice to see the Highland Springs. That's why it's nice to see a DeMatha.
0: Yeah. I, I think the thing to do is keep your eyes on Phoebus and Oscar Smith. I think there's some potential for us to make some some headwinds there. Um, I think if Phoebus probably made, there, there there's a target in this class, and I think in Oscar Smith there's a target in this class and the next class that that could potentially um, you know cause a little bit of a shift there. But I think when you talk about Richmond compared to Nova and Seven Five Seven, I think we at least with the last regime sat better in Richmond than we sat in seven, five, seven and NOVA. And I, I think I think the reputation of Virginia Tech was a lot more solid in the RVA at the end of Fuentes regime than it was in the seven, five and NOVA. I think this is just, again, we, Price talked about building those bridges and repairing those things. He had a lot more work to do in NOVA and a lot more work to do in the seven, five
1: than he had in Richmond. That's a damn good point to make. Because at the end of that regime we were picking off some kids from Richmond to flip at the end with the kid from a getting some seven getting some Highland Spring kids to walk in. So I think like like Pri said, we've got to build relationships. We don't have them here yet. The sort of that when J C came in that kind of fixed, not completely fixed, but put some duct tape on some of the Put some duct tape on the relationship down in Richmond. Definitely went far. And obviously, we're reaping a little bit of the rewards from that right now. He broke Um, out the
0: belt sander and smoothed it out
1: a little bit. He smoothed it out a little bit and then prying this regime along with JC. You know, we feel good about Richmond. Um, Brian, if you did not see the news, I think you did. The 25 recruiting limit out. 2023 and 2024 what do you think about that no limits
0: it's better than nothing i would have honestly preferred to have three to five more scholarships tacked on to the 85 than for the next two years to be unlimited but in terms of how this affects us i think we may not go over 25 and 23 but just because it is a rebuild year And we're probably not sitting the best with some of the more higher caliber players. Um, Our class is going to be mostly mid to high three stars anyway. It's not going to have a ton of four stars. Uh, But I think in 24, when we're under 85 really well at that point, and we're starting to make some headway in the state and around our footprint a little bit more where we're established, I think that's when you you take a shot and and load up as much in the boat as you can because you know you'll be able to get essentially all of those fours that you're targeting and then all of those threes that are in that, you know, higher end three range that you're targeting. Then make some some business decisions on the back end with those mid to low uh, three-star kids.
1: Yeah. Well, the whole thing that this year you say no, the only way this year you can get that bump is if you win. Like if you if you tell me if you tell me you you're thinking 6 7 wins. I your, think with I
0: think with our schedule we could get 6 and I think, think I think 6 is enough to roll into 24 with with a little bit of uh of momentum.
1: I right, go Mr. Brights out here. Let's say Brent Pride comes in and wins nine games. Can he attack? Can we attack twenty three more? Because then you're talking about it's a regime change. It's a it is a coaching staff that can recruit better, and you're coming out year one and winning nine games, going to a solid bowl. Obviously, if you're doing that, there are players producing on the field.
0: Well, I guess I guess the question is going to be: Can you? Is there going to be enough players left at the end of this cycle once you get some results on the board? to really make some, some late season flips. And if you are able to do that, is there enough that still keeps you under 85? Cause more than likely we're going to use that one scholarship open that we have, I would say to fill in at least one knee position before the start of fall camp.
1: Maybe um, because obviously you've already mentioned it, you know, it, it, we're, we're June first. There's been no discussion of additional scholarships from the NCAA. We thought it would be like three to five, just to help teams out. But it, it's it's not hurting teams. It's hurting kids. There are going to be a lot of kids that don't have don't have a home. They're basically screwing the student athlete. Great job, NCAA. Screw the student athletes. That's what we're here for. Versus, if you give three to five open scholarships to every team, what's that, a minimum of 400 additional kids in the portal would find homes? Because they would find homes.
0: Yeah, so what what the NCAA decided to do is that they said, okay, well, we understand that the situation we put them in with the COVID year, and then having no relief is going to put pressure on the freshman incoming classes. We're going to give them some relief. So mo- most of freshmen that would have found homes normally are still going to find homes, but we're literally going to fuck anybody that wanted to get in the portal. Yeah. That isn't a high caliber, you know, front front end, immediate starter at most power five institution type player.
1: Yeah. Developmental players is where it's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and the thing is with developmental players, if you had three to five, every school would take a swing at a kid. Every school would take a swing at three to five kids to get on their roster just to be like, he has potential. What if we're the guys that unlock it? Yeah. They, they, they are so – it's such an inept institute. I don't want to go into it. it
0: NCAA continues to have their head up their own ass.
1: Oh, that's not
0: That's not going to change. Um, Ever. Until I see definitive proof, I'm going to completely continue to shit all over them because <laughs> they they are – a awful governing body, um, especially when it comes to the things that ironically make them the most money.
1: Exactly. All right. Um, let's flip to this, Brian. Uh, big news last week broke with Rashad Parnell, and the Highland Springs defensive lineman, um, decommitting after signing his LOI. Um. There is so many things not adding up to this story. Um, I mean, every you want to know why. Because when he committed about five days prior to this announcement of decommitment, I mean, he was literally one of the first guys that was on his post.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at, like you said, as of just a few days before this went down, uh, you know he was he was retweeting and saying, "Welcome home, brother, and all this other stuff so obviously, whatever has happened was something that either was unforeseen or was something that we somebody thought somebody was doing something and they weren't um you know we we've had whispers and and stuff on the timeline about uh, you know off the field stuff uh playing a role here. We don't know what it is, so I'm not going to speculate what it is. Um, yeah, we don't. It seems, it seems like that is, you know, the why. Uh, if, you know, I'm not specific here, but generally, that's the why. Um, I think the what's next is what's most important at this point. This this isn't a um, you know a prior regime failure here. This is just one of those things that happens. Um, so well, the, the the what's next is this is this a gray shirt? Is he is he going to JUCO? For a year, Um, he said his recruitment is still open. I don't know if that is, you know, if 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 we if he at this point, I don't know if we've let him out of his LOI. We haven't got an official word on that at this point. Um, If we have, and some other institution wants to pick him up, then I guess it's free game. But otherwise, this looks like a potential JUCO, and then we kind of make potentially, you know, keep our relationship with him and uh, and try to circle back for for the next class here
1: yeah it's it's going to be very key of what he does whether it's a prep or a juco you we don't see a lot of guys prep anymore but depending on what the situation is if you see him go prep i fully expect him to come back to tech if he goes juco that's usually a little longer route because if you're going juco it's almost a two-year commitment to a Juco school and then getting two years at your four-year institution. So what in the oncoming days, and obviously we'll be following this when he makes a decision of what he's going to do next year. Um, But it's just – it it, kind of hurts your heart because he is under the radar. He is one of those team guys, and you love when he committed. And even though he's always been kind of the tweener, is he going to be a big end? Is he going to play – you know, undersized three, you felt like he was going to have success here. And now it's back seated at a position of need where if he comes into tech over the summer, gets on the weight program, we figure out his body type in six months, he could be potentially helping out next year. So it stinks on every single front from, you know, just a personal standpoint of liking a kid. And then from a standpoint of football saying this guy potentially could have helped the team in 2024 as a depth piece in years down the road
0: yeah i mean you know we we've talked glowingly about rashad pernell on this podcast uh, he was one of our favorite recruits uh from this class so th- this isn't something that we're saying all right it doesn't matter it definitely matters um and not just because he he's a you know potential as a true freshman a potential three deep at either um, you know, defensive end or, you know, playing three technique there, that's not that's not the only thing that we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, it's, this is just a player that, the type of player that you want to have on your team uh, from a leadership's perspective and the way he was re- recruiting uh, other players to come to Blacksburg. That's the type of player you want on your roster, full stop. Always, so always. So it, it definitely hurts anybody saying otherwise, um, you know, you're, 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 you're lying to yourself. I mean, it's still it, – it's a big move. I, I just don't think it necessarily is something that we can really dwell on because it's not really anything that the program could have done differently to stop this from happening.
1: Exactly. All right, let's flip to this. It's the It's the title of our episode, Camp Season. And, buddy, do they have them in Blacksburg this month? Seven camps basically from now until I think the twenty sixth is the last one or twenty seventh. That is a lot of camps in a short period of time, and then one additional one in July. Um, I, you know, this is this is what it was pre-COVID. This is what we saw every year. Yeah. So and this is
0: and this is the return of what I think a lot of us have been missing about the offseason season is yeah. stuff like this. Um, where you can get guys on campus a lot at a time, uh, work them out, see how they do. You get a lot of some offers thrown that weren't committable all of a sudden are, and you get a bunch of people in the boat at one time. Yep. Um, you, know, you get these uh, these guys that you know, you know were, were on the fence, but they get to Blacksburg, they enjoy, they have a good time in the camp, and all of a sudden, a guy that was a, a Penn State or a UNC lean is now committing to Virginia Tech. That's the type of shit we like to see. That's the type of shit that I yep. hope we, we see in the coming weeks. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really always – this is one of my favorite times is, is kind of seeing how this plays out on the recruiting trail. So I'm looking forward to June and, and what we're able to accomplish, hopefully, on the recruiting trail.
1: 100%. And you mentioned it already. Like, I always think it's always – like, I'm thinking right now, 23 sleepers. There's probably some low-rated three-star that's going to get to a camp. And at these camps, there are a lot of times there's rivals, there's 247 riders, there's evaluators for them there, right? There's guys getting height, weight, clocking, looking how they did on shuttle drills, how they perform in these activities.
0: We know one of those guys.
1: Yes, we do. (laughs) for those who are really interested in the camp, our our episode, it's June 23rd of last year with Coach Robbie Compton. You want to know what goes on inside these camps? Listen to that episode beginning to end because it is a great knowledge point of what happens. But you sit here, and I'm sitting here thinking, there's going to be some kid that's on our radar, maybe an in-state kid that we really want heavy. He gets down, and he blows camp up. <laughs> um, and actually, Coach Compton, yep, there it goes right there. It's who's going to camp for free, that's who to watch. I don't know how we can determine that, Robbie. You tell me <laughs> how we determine it, and I will find out. But
0: dollar bills, y'all.
1: <laughs> but who's the sleeper? Who's the kid who they thought was five eleven is actually six two? Who's the kid they thought was one seventy is actually one ninety? Who's the kid that's got more muscle mass? Because a lot of these kids have not been seen in six to eight months, and now they're going to start being seen again. Now you mentioned some, some
0: of these kids have only been seen in pads and they haven't been seen up close and personal, so that's going to be something else too. It's- I'll I'll never forget getting a uh, an invite up to UVA and Ron Prince telling me that I look bigger in pads.
1: Oh, fuck him. <laughs> to this day.
0: I, yeah, I must I must look bigger in pads.
1: Well, fuck you. Um, but it's also Brian mentioned getting a kid on campus that potentially maybe texts in the top five, and you can get them in and close and flip them. But it's also a great chance now, talking about building relationships, we've heard it from Brent Pry the whole time, getting the jump on 24. We're behind. Pry's already admitted that. But having these camps and having these younger kids come in, quicker way to get that relationship built is having them in-house and having your staff, you know, that we feel is significantly better than what we had get in their ear and show them things and, you know, preach what we want here at Virginia Tech.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that this is a this is a good time to find those sleepers, guys that are bigger than you thought. Uh, and it's, I think the bigger thing for me is that, you know, I want to see us, some of the, the bigger names that we've been targeting on this trail that, you know, we talked about earlier, wanting to get that big fish. Here's where you, you get these guys on campus in an environment with a lot of other guys, and they start selling the program to themselves, right? I mean, there's going to be other players that have already committed that are coming to these camps. There's going to be other players that have a heavy interest in Virginia Tech that are going to sell you know, sell this thing for you a little bit once you get everybody in one area. Let's close some of those bigger fish. Let's get maybe a flip here or there of, of guys that are leaning to other schools and, and, and you know, get a little bit of momentum. I think we're doing pretty well on the recruiting trail overall. But I want to see more of those high threes and you know, maybe low four stars in this class. I'd like to see a couple of them thrown in there too so we can get a little momentum carried into next year. Um, I, I know we're behind this year. Everybody knows we're behind this year. At the same time, we got to start winning some of these winnable battles so we can start climbing the ladder a little bit.
1: Exactly. All right, Brian. So every year... CBS sort of puts together their top 65 power five coaches. If you guys don't recall, last year we actually – remember, Brian? We did ours. We talked about our top ten coaches. It's fun to do. It's fun to discuss. Usually the guy that does it is Tom Fornelli. And I'll say this. Tom Fornelli is one of my favorite college football writers out there. He is. he is. He, he, He comes at it with a very different approach. He's a really intelligent guy. He lives up in Big Ten country. So he doesn't have, you know, he's I think he's an Illinois grad or he likes Illinois or that's the closest team to him. He but. doesn't
0: have the automatic SEC bias. He might have subconscious SEC buys. Exactly. <laughs>
1: so he, he came up with the list this year. And I pulled it up. And he only did his top 25 first. And it's the it's the normal stuff. And you know, but then he released 26 to 65 just a few days ago. And of course I clicked on it because I wanted to see his thoughts on Brent Pry. Well, I'm still a fan, but Tom Fornelli ranked Brent Pry 65 of 65. And this is what he put on him and not some of the other guys we're going to discuss here. I have a simple rule for filling out my ballot. If you've never been a head coach before, you're starting at the bottom of my rankings. That's not true. We'll discuss that in a second. Many of my fellow voters feel the same, so Pry shouldn't take it personally as the new head man at Virginia Tech prepares to begin his first season as a head coach at any level. All right. Okay, cool. Now, there are six guys on here that are first-time head coaches in addition to Brent Pry that we're going to talk about. The first three, I have absolutely no issue with where they're ranked and that, that they're ranked ahead of Brent Pry. Well, the-
0: before, before we even get into the names, let me throw a caveat out here. Um, this isn't a ranking of based on the roster makeup or based on the roster talent or based on this, that, and the third. This is literally just based on what this coach has done in the past where they are ranked right now has nothing to do with their current year roster makeup or any of that shit. So, with that being the the, the parameters, I'll let Curtis continue here.
1: All right, there are four guys, or excuse me, three guys <coughs> that due to the pedigree of the coach and where they landed, I have absolutely no issue with where they're ranked or that they're ranked ahead of Brent Pride. One is Brent Venables. Brent Venables has been one of the best defensive coordinators over the last 10 years in college football. He's ranked 45th, no issue. Yeah. Also, Tom, you put somebody way really high as a first-year head coach, so you're not living by your own rules. I, second, honestly, Venables
0: could have been higher if, you know, some of the Oklahoma's best talent hadn't
1: have yeah. taken
0: trip out to Southern Cal.
1: But he still got top yeah. 15. Yeah,
0: he still – yeah, exactly. But I'm saying he could have been top 40 if, if he didn't lose, you know, a decent portion of his talent.
1: All right. The second is Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. I have no issue with him being there with his credentials, coaching there last year. No issue with him being there. I have no issue with the Georgia defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, who went up to Oregon at 54. No issue. He's been, you know, coordinator Georgia, won the national championship. He's going to a pretty much about a top ten roster. No issue. No issue. So I'm cool with those guys.
0: But, again, we're not supposed to be paying attention to the roster. So I, I don't know how – I I feel like the rankings are paying attention to the roster, even though they're saying they're
1: not. They are. They're, they're paying attention to the roster and where they go. Well, you would think that. But then, you know, we, we go here. These are my three issues. And we're going to start at number 62. And it's Joey McGuire. You know who Joey Maguire is, Brian? I do now. He's the Texas Tech, new Texas Tech head coach. He got hired really early in the process. I think he was the first guy. Now, you know, Fornelli puts on here about how excited the fans are as he has high school connections in the state of Texas, because basically up until 2017, he was a high school football coach in Texas. The last five years, he's been a coach, not a coordinator, an associate head coach at Baylor under Matt Rule and Dave Aranda. Brian, how long has Brent Pry coached collegiate football?
0: A lot longer than Joey McGuire.
1: A lot longer. (laughs) So you sit here and it's like, well, yeah, Joey's a good recruiter, but Joey's coached at the highest level of collegiate football for five years. And he wasn't even a coordinator. He was a, 26 years
0: total now. Yeah. yeah, 27.
1: Do you count his GA time or the time he was at East Frost or East the the, the, the the D2 school before he came to 28, GA? 28, 29. Then? 29. <laughs> 29. years. So there's my first issue. This is his first head coach job, just as Brent Pry. He is coached for five years. He's never ran. He's not a particular coach. He is a recruiting coach.
0: He's, He's less all- than two years younger than Pry.
1: He's only, yeah, two years younger than Pry. He also is going to Lubbock. There's been two people that had success at Texas Tech, Spike Dykes and Mike Leach. No one else has had success at Texas Tech in the last 35 years. So minimal time as a, high, as a collegiate coach – going to a program that has only had two good runs of success in recruiting against the likes of Brent Venables, against Texas A&M, against Texas, against LSU, against Arkansas. He's 62, though. Brian? Yeah,
0: I, I, I really don't have I, – I put him dead last. Because of coaching if it experience. it was my list, based on coaching experience and pedigree of program, dead fucking last.
1: Now, the next guy who was one spot ahead is the one you really went off on today. And that's Mike Elko, who is going to Duke. Elko basically started, really got his flame going at Wake Forest, had a good defense there, went to Notre Dame, good defensive coordinator there. And then he went to Texas A&M with Jimbo and put together a good defense there, not world beaters, but a good defense. He's going to Duke. Uh, Elko has not coached as long as Pry. But, Brian, go in, because you went on a soliloquy earlier today. Like, how bleep you put Mike Oko ahead of him?
0: Number one, he's in Duke. He's automatically, in- automatically should put him below Virginia Tech. Number two. He's coming from Texas A&M. He has a defense that in the time that they were sharing defensive coordinator roles, Pry had better overall defenses. Let's also talk about how Texas A&M is essentially the UNC of the fucking SEC. And, yeah, they can recruit. Yeah, they get all this talent, but they don't do shit with it. Eight wins. I mean, Texas A&M has not won shit. At least Brent Pry and our, our buddy James Franklin have done something in the Big Ten. They One they beat ten. Ohio State. They you know, they have done the things that you want a team to do. Um. So I mean, I don't just pedigree wise, I don't think what Elko did at Texas A and M was any more impressive than what Pry did at Penn State. And I think that Pry is at the better program right now. Yep. And, I, and that's that's no bias. If, no, if, you can no. Present, if you can present bias to this, I'll gladly listen to it. But Duke is not a better football program than Virginia Tech full stop. No. So not at all. And, and, even and, at we, our worst We blew them out last
1: year. We were shit we blew them out last year.
0: So 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 please, you know, in in the bullshit there, um you know in the I bullshit. Know there. Spot, I know it's one spot. I not I know it's one spot, but Motherfucker.
1: <laughs> if he's 64, Brent should be at least one spot ahead of him at 63. Yeah. Um Which 63 is Dickert from Washington State, who I did put on here, because the guy coached half a season and had a good record. He should have been significantly further down the list. That's my opinion. But he's going from Notre Dame and A&M to proverbial top ten recruiting, getting a lot of talent programs, to Duke. He's going back to his Wake days where his best defense was 46, which for Wake is very good, is very good. So what you're telling me is he's going to have Duke. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Put that on the screen. It's coming. <laughs> so at least one spot ahead of Mike Yelko, Joy McGuire at the end because Joy McGuire didn't have the uh, thing. Now, last but not least – Tony Elliott, Tony Pone. So. It will never die. It's 60. It will never die. So basically, this is the thing. The longtime Clemson offensive coordinator finally gets his chance to run the show on his own. Elliott has coached some great players in his time with the Tigers. And he thinks Virginia is the perfect place to take commands. He inherits an offense that scored a lot of points last season. His offense last season didn't score a lot of points as an offensive coordinator, and they haven't scored a lot of points since Trevor's last year. My issue, again, with the Virginia thing, in Tony was a co-OC when they won a national championship with Jeff Scott. So he was a co-OC, not the full-time OC. Jeff Scott obviously went to South Florida. That's really ugly. He's probably getting fired in October, unless he yeah. pulls a miracle out. But again, I look at this and it's like, okay, he's had he's not coached as long, but he's had more success. So if you want to put him ahead, that's fine in that case. But I look at where he's going. I also look at the regimes around him. Do Brian, you said it to me earlier today. Who are their best hires?
0: I mean, their best hires were their retentions, keeping Hagens and keeping 2J. Were their best hires. Kitchens is the only outside hire that anyone would honestly get their skirt blown up a little bit over. Um, so you got three guys, uh, you know, most of them on the offensive side of the ball there. Um, you know, what's the defense going to look like? What the, you know, what are they going to do on defense? They they were awful on defense. They were awful in the secondary. So I don't know if that's going to be a better situation for them and and that's even if we're we're counting, you know, makeup of the roster and all this other
1: bullshit. Well, um, makeup a roster your coaching staff in general because I think, you know, if you look at what Brent did coaching staff wise, to me you take you take a guy like Chris Marr who was is a protégé of his who had been in the SEC and at FSU for a few years. Yeah. You take a guy like Derek Jones who has who coached Duke under Cutcliffe, who coached at Ole Miss and Texas Tech, he is a proven Division One football coach. There is no more, no less, than to say that about him. Um, and then you take a guy like Bowen, NFL, Holt, you know, ACC guy. But then, in just just in this alone, Brent Pry getting Joe Rudolph should put him ahead of Tony Elliott. He literally went out and got one of the best offensive line coachmen in in the country and convinced him to come to Tech.
0: As good as retaining 2J was, Rudolph definitely trumped that. If if, if retaining 2J is your best coaching move and the coaching move that Pry made was better than that,
1: game over, man. But if it's just them, Brian, I'll look at Brent Pry and say Brent Pry has been at Vanderbilt and Penn State the one thing that he has been the whole time is he has been the defensive coordinator or co-DC is consistency. Where Tony, especially with DJ, the wheels fell off a little bit. With Kelly Bryant, remember Kelly Bryant? I do. The team was good, not great on offense.
0: Yeah, and can we say this too? I mean, I I know that Tony's had some success recruiting in a lot of different areas, but this is still his first time coaching outside of South Carolina. It
1: is. It is. He Furman, what Furman and Clemson, right? Yeah, that's it. So where Brent Price been? What? Pennsylvania, Virginia, Georgia, Tennessee, Pennsylvania. So basically, he's got like a weird little diamond shape.
0: He, he's touched pretty much everywhere in the footprint in terms of recruiting in his career.
1: So at worst, at worst, I believe Brent Pryor should be 62. At worst. So we'll see. We'll see. But... The first two, I think, got me more than anything. The last one, it's 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 a UVA coach, so we have to talk about it. We got,
0: we got to talk shit because it's UVA, and and that Elliott was a primary target for a lot of the fan base, and potentially with, at least when he started the process because of how far things got, what looked like they got in last cycle when we thought Fuente was going to get fired after twenty twenty. So um, we just
1: listen. Our brains were a little loose then. That's all I can say. <laughs> Our brains were a little bit loose, Darren, because we, were, we had scar tissue. We just needed a change. We just needed a change.
0: Well, I think, you know, you get more information. I think we, we saw you know, 2021, if nothing else, gave us a glimpse of Clemson's offense without Trevor Lawrence.
1: Well, and, and, but 2016 or 2017 gave us a view of them without Deshaun Watson. The writing was kind of on the wall then. And then they get Trevor for the next three seasons and win a national championship, make the playoff. The
0: the only thing you can say right now is that he's definitely walking into a favorable quarterback situation in UVA.
1: He is, but they've lost some stuff there. (laughs) All right, so speaking of changes, Brian, I sent you this article because you hadn't seen it the town of Blacksburg is proposing, and this is our last little bit of the night, the town of Blacksburg is proposing tweaks to the mass outdoor gathering ordinance because of what happens on center streets during game days.
0: Yeah, somehow this is getting played up as like, well, people are having parties and then they're, they're they're walking off the paths on the way to the stadium.
1: Walking, They're going through the woods and they're going off the path. Listen, first of all, they need to be very kind of glad. You literally have this section right here where a mass amount of students, I would guess last time we walked through there back in nineteen, it's probably that that was a light day, it's probably seven hundred kids there. Yeah. yeah. And that was on a Thanksgiving weekend. So I'm assuming it's probably five to seven hundred more on a normal game day, so probably fifteen hundred kids. You're at least getting kids congregated in one location near the stadium. And this, some of the crap that they're proposing is just stupid. It's like what's <sighs> well sometimes it's like
0: they're, it's, it's here, but it's not even enforceable. Like what's the point of the
1: the what is the point of what's it? the
0: point of the ordinance?
1: But any, any and they're talking about people going through the woods, getting knocked off path and the drunkenness and all well, hey, they're in college, it's just gonna happen. But here's a bigger key. If you go to a Virginia Tech football game, or if you have been going, especially over the last decade, because Center Street has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, you know not to go to Center Street. It's going to be a bash. It's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be tougher to get down Center Street through the woods over to the stadium. And most common sense fans are going to avoid Center Street.
0: If, if that if they have a problem with it yeah if they have a problem with that type of <laughs> atmosphere on their way to the stadium
1: which is awesome
0: non-family friendly atmosphere on the way to the stadium um I, I'm, I'm using air quotes there for the people listening
1: <laughs> uh,
0: just i mean th- this is this is no fun police this is, I, I, yeah
1: the no fun police it's it's very to me it's very counterproductive. Um, because if you if you go to the game, you know what it is. Um so then you know to avoid it. And in some cases, like for us, if we go just me and Brian, will we probably partake in walking through Center Street to go to the stadium? Yeah, because it you know makes you reminisce on certain yeah. <laughs>
0: Back in my day. Back in my day.
1: <laughs> but uh, so the, the for those out there who live in Blacksburg, you know, go and just say this is stupid. Stop it right there. And and we know one of our favorite people will be probably at that town council meeting. Just Jeremy, don't drink any Jameson before you go. Okay. Almost you can safe. wear the crown. You can wear the crown, spurtle right? chain. I, don't know, I don't
0: know if you re- fully retired the spurtle chain or
1: not. miss spurtle, Brian, is anything broken since we started? Hey, only an hour and ten minutes. This is a uh, this is a short episode. It's
0: a, it's a trim episode <laughs> for, for, by our standards, at
1: least. <laughs> right. I'm not seeing anything that's broken in the last little while here. I think so I could, man. that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all of our episodes. Again, June twenty third, two 2021, Robbie Compton's episode on the camps. Listen to it if you have more interest in that. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook. What am I forgetting? Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, three weeks, man. I'm, I'm out of it. He's, he's, out of, he's out of the groove, man. He's I'm out of no the groove. Right. Uh, subscribe to your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in and play us out. Check out The Old Man Yelling at the TV. Definitely on Spotify and Apple Music. We played it a few weeks ago. Go check that episode out to hear it beginning to end. Also, check Jason out on YouTube. He has updated uh, his YouTube in the, this year. Um, He is going to be, during the summer, out at the Grandin Village Farmer's Market out in Roanoke. I know he always has a good time out there. Um, We thank you for listening. Hopefully, we'll be back in just a couple weeks, not as long a break as uh, this time. But, Brian, as always, let's go. Okay.